Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I'm your host, Ben Amaralt. I am the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. First, on behalf of Medicinal Genomics and CanMed events, I hope you all had a safe and happy holiday. As we wind down 2023, be sure to take advantage of our early bird pricing for the CanMed 24 Innovation and Investment Summit, taking place this May in Marco Island, Florida. That early bird pricing is available through the remainder of the year, so be sure to get your ticket before the ball drops in Times Square. We appreciate your support for CanMed, whether it's listening to the podcast, following us on social media, viewing the presentation videos in the CanMed archive, or joining us for the annual summit. It's truly an honor to provide a platform for the brilliant clinicians and researchers that participate in CanMed. The work they do is transforming the industry and bringing hope to many who suffer from disease and illness. And today's guest is a great example of one of those clinicians. Bonnie Goldstein is one of the country's most respected and experienced medical cannabis physicians, having treated thousands of patients with medical cannabis. She is the owner and medical director of Canna Center's Wellness and Education. She is the clinical advisor to Canformatics, and she is the author of the book titled Cannabis is Medicine, How Medical Cannabis and CBD Are Healing Everything from Anxiety to Chronic Pain. Bonnie has participated in every CanMed event since we started in 2016, and she leads the CanMed Medical Practicum again this year. During our conversation, we talked about what attendees can expect from the CanMed Medical Practicum, new research that she is excited about concerning THCA and CBDA, Bonnie's method for customizing cannabinoid formulations for her patients, the many barriers preventing patients from using medical cannabis, how the cannabinoid medicine options have expanded over the last decade, and the difficulty of keeping up with the cannabis medicine literature. Before we get to my conversation with Bonnie, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, the Dent Institute. With more than 300,000 patient visits per year, the Dent Neurologic Institute ranks among the largest neuroscience centers in North America. Its 24 subspecialty clinics often treat the most challenging neurologic conditions, including, but not limited to, migraine, chronic pain, ALS, MS, Parkinson's, dementia, and neuro-oncology. With their mission of advancing neuroscience, the Dent Institute established a cannabis clinic in 2016 to aid in the treatment of these chronic conditions seen throughout the Institute. For more information, visit thedentinstitute.com. All right, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Hello, Bonnie. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me again, Ben. Of course. We're thrilled to have you coming back for CanMed 24. You know, I was watching your CanMed 23 presentation before we jumped on the call today. And at the start, you mentioned how much you loved the location. 
and how you think it should that CanMed should be at that, that location every year. Well, you got your wish. We're going back to Marco Island for CanMed 24. Really looking forward to it. It was, you know, there was this, not only was the location gorgeous, right? Uh, in fact, it's my screensaver on my phone right now. I took All a right. picture of the sunset on the beach and it was spectacular. Um, but the camaraderie, um, the kind of upbeat nature of everybody that was there, excited to learn, to share, um, just excited to be around other people who kind of understand cannabis and are excited about cannabis. And not only that, but like, so, you know, I'm living in the medical world, but and there's only so much I can, uh, bandwidth I have to expand into learning everything about the plant, but yet I attend the lectures uh, from these uh, brilliant PhDs in plant biology and so on. And I learned so much and it just enhances the whole, my whole ability to really understand um, everything about the plant. It's just, I, it's, it's a great conference. And I've said that, in fact, the day that I went to leave, I, you know, talked to the organizers and just said, spectacular from top to bottom. So I really encourage people to go it's a really if you're if you're only can go to one conference, this is the conference to go to. Excellent. Yeah, we we agree. And um, we're hoping to have more opportunities for some of that camaraderie and um, networking that you mentioned. So um, uh, we're really excited about this year. It's going to be a great event. And of course, one of the pillars of the event is the medical practicum, which is going to be taking place on Monday, the 13th. And it's a full day workshop that's really sort of a, a crash course in cannabinoid medicine featuring you, of course, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Eloise Thiessen, and new this year, Dr. Ethan, Ro Ethan Rousseau, excuse me, which is quite the lineup. Um, I was hoping briefly, can you tell the listeners what they can expect from the, the medical practicum? Sure. So we uh, at the medical practicum break it down into kind of two parts. So one is the basic um, science that you need to understand, kind of like the first two years of medical school where they teach you all the biochemistry and physiology and you don't really get into the um, uh, patient care just yet. So we have the morning lectures, which are about the physiology of the endocannabinoid system, the pharmacology, the plant, um, and then we, and, and a few others, and then we move into dosing, um, how to approach a patient which cannabinoids you might want to choose for which conditions or which symptoms. Um, and we share our clinical experience. And listen, we know that we're behind in research mm. because of the prohibition, the Schedule One status that is ongoing, still not allowed to do studies on THC unless you jump through a thousand hoops with the government. So although it's getting a little bit better, um, what we have in our arsenal is our clinical experience. And cannabis is not the same as pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's multiple compounds in it. It doesn't fit that, you know, single molecule and where you can do a randomized controlled trial. It just doesn't fit into that. Um, and although those trials are helpful, I found that clinically, because cannabis is so safe, um, if you just understand what you're doing and learn mm -hmm. from people who've been doing it, you can actually make a difference in somebody's life. Somebody who's suffering from a refractory condition or somebody where the treatment is almost worse than the mm -hmm. symptoms of the condition. And so, and even then, 
not just those kinds of patients, but just general wellness for your patients to keep them well, right? And so I think it's a, a really, it's a powerhouse of a day. There's a lot of learning um, and we make ourselves available. So Ethan, Dustin, myself, and Eloise all have, oh gosh, I don't even know how many years if you put it together, experience in cannabis medicine. It's a lot, um, but you have the ability to pick our brains. And I think that's uh, really important. Absolutely. And that's something that we we hear about all the time is the, the fact that people can walk up to you or have a meal with you and, you know, just continue to to pick your brain and, um, and learn even beyond just the sessions uh, is such a, a great part of the event. And, uh, and I like the point that you made too, about the practicum is that you, you start off with the basics, which, you know, even if you're, if you're new to cannabis, if you're dipping your toe, it's a great place to start and gives you a nice foundation for the following day too, where it gets into sort of more, more detailed research that the oral presenters are giving. Um, if you attend the practicum, it gives you a nice kind of uh, solid foundation. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, I hate to say it, but we're all kind of like nerds, science nerds, and we've focused on cannabis. So if you come up to me and I'm eating lunch and you say, hey, can I pick your brain? I'm like all in, you know, let's go for it. I love sharing what I know because, you know, I would joke around, but it's true. I can't take care of everybody. So we need other clinicians. We need other, even if it's not the first line treatment, like it is, well, it's not first line in my practice because I'm seeing people after they've already failed first, second, and third line, but yeah. it's something that you should be able to discuss with your patients and you need to have that basic knowledge to have that conversation. For sure. So maybe there are some listeners out there who have already attended CanMed, maybe even already attended the practicum, um, but I know that the research is constantly changing. New things are always coming up. So are there new things in this year's practicum that um, you wanted to highlight to, that people should consider if they're thinking about coming back? Well, we are spending a little bit more time on the clinical side of things. So we do have the basic science lectures, but we mm -hmm. are you know, trying to add more clinical. So case reports um, and... Um, uh, Dr. Ethan Russo is doing a lecture highlighting neurologic disease. Mm. Uh, he's a neurologist by uh, training and uh, he's so brilliant um, that he is able to impart that knowledge about um, how so many neurologic disorders like dementia, let's say, um, certain brain cancers, like we really don't have good treatment. You know, you, your loved one gets diagnosed dementia, goes to the neurologist and they kind of hand you some medications that eh, don't really do great things, right? Maybe slight no. improvement, but certainly not in everybody and lots of side effects. So um, he's going to go through how cannabinoids um, can be preventive uh, and also can be um, uh, provide a really great treatment for people struggling with neurologic conditions. So I'm really excited to hear that lecture. I've, I've heard parts of it in the past, but um, I can't wait uh, to hear him talk about that. Yeah, it's always exciting to get to hear Dr. Russo talk. He's sort of the sort of the elder statesman, not to not to date him, but- um, The guru, he's yeah. my guru, he's my mentor. Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. Excellent. And so we, we were talking about new literature. It's coming out all the time. And like I said, I was watching your CAMED 23 presentation and you even remarked that that morning you had to add some new information into your presentation because you were you were looking at a paper and realized, oh, I need to put that in there. So 
literature is changing all the time, new research all the time. Um, are there any new developments, new research recently that you're excited about? Well, kind of touching on that dementia part of it, a paper came out very recently and I guess it's in mice, but it gives us some really nice information that we didn't really have before. So the raw cannabinoids, CBDA and THCA, so cannabidiolic acid and tetrahydrocannabinolic acid mm -hmm. are compounds that the plant gives us in its unheated state. Way back when, when I started doing this in 2008, we actually thought that these compounds were inactive. And I was taught, so you have to heat the plant in order to activate the medicinal properties, kind of like convert CBDA to CBD, convert THCA to THC through that heating process. And really, um, we find out that that's not true. CBDA and THCA have potent anti-inflammatory, antioxidant effects, neuroprotective effects. And so there's been a tremendous amount of research looking at these, what we call the acidic cannabinoids, that A at the end stands for the acid, um, and what can they do? So they are woefully understudied, but luckily mm. there's a lot of interest and in it's moving forward in terms of uh, the research. And a recent study came out showing that both CBDA and THCA in a mouse model of Alzheimer's was actually quite protective. And so it lowered. So when you get Alzheimer's or dementia, you, what's happening is your brain cells are becoming inflamed and they're dying. And with Alzheimer's, particularly, there's these deposits of these proteins in your brain that kind of basically mess up cell function. Mm. And it turns out that CBDA and THCA uh, in mice that received those compared to mice that didn't get those compounds actually reduced or lowered those protein depositions, which is amazing, right? Because we don't really have medicine to do that. And also um, alleviated this um, abnormal calcium flow. The calcium is very important to your brain function. It calcium moves in and out of your cells. It's not because of how much milk you drink or how much dairy you have, or it's really just how calcium flows in and out of the cells. And if that becomes unregulated, or out of balance, you can have a lot of problems neurologically. And so THCA and CBDA were found to alleviate that imbalance, which is amazing, and also had neuro other neuroprotective effects. And in the study, they actually measured um, memory loss and resilience to these changes. And the mice that got these cannabinoids did better. And what I'll tell you, just in my own experience, I use CBDA and THCA all the time in my pediatric practice, as well as my adult practice, mostly for alleviation of inflammation, uh, like let's say related to osteoarthritis. In the pediatric patients, um, also many of my patients have neuronal inflammation, neuroinflammation. They have, especially the kids with autism, have, have major dysfunction in their immune systems. And also CBDA and THCA appear to also help with anxiety. So that's another reason that we use it. Non-impairing compounds, right. but not like plant, we don't have to worry about going high dose and making somebody uncomfortably high or, or too much psychoactivity. And certainly that's never the goal, especially with the pediatric patient. So here we have this new data. It's very exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. And so you mentioned that the the prevailing wisdom before was that, you know, you need to decarboxylate these compounds in order to make them active. Now, was that sort of because it is true that 
and, and you made the point yourself that THCA is not psychoactive until you decarboxylate it. So was the thought that, okay, if it's, if it's true in that case, that it's not going to be psychoactive unless we decarboxylate it, it's probably true for the other medicinal effects too. Well, and I think that's was kind of a generalization, you know, when you right. can't study things, you can't learn about them. Hmm. So people went by how they felt. So if you were to take raw cannabis, you didn't feel anything. Same thing like with CBD. If you took some CBD and you say, well, I don't feel anything. Well, maybe it's not, it's not doing anything. I don't feel anything. And what we know now is that not only do these compounds just need a little time, but dosing matters. So you should know what your dosing is. The preparation matters. Is hmm. it actually what's in the bottle? Exactly what they're, it's what's on the label, right? Does that jive? So there's a lot to it, but most of my patients who are using non-impairing um, cannabinoids, so basically everything but THC and possibly CBN, um, they are they report. Well, I don't feel anything. And I say we have to give it time. It needs to. This is a plant. It's not going to hit you like a harsh pharmaceutical. It's going to get you into homeostasis over time. Right. My analogy is: if I'm out of shape and I go to the gym tomorrow, I am not in shape tomorrow night. But if I hang in there, I will see in a month, I feel better. In two months, I feel even better. And by three months, people are saying, wow, you're, you, you've got muscles and, you know, wow, you look great. And so you have to give cannabis a chance. It is a plant that it, we're asking it to change your, either your neurochemistry or your inflammatory chemistry. You got to give it a chance to work. So, uh, but I'll share with you in my, I have a couple of elderly patients that have pretty severe pain from gout, from severe osteoarthritis, bone on bone in their knees or severe mm. hip pain, other joint pain. And they report that CBDA is amazing for that. It's, and it's, and there's no, I just have not seen side effects. Now in my autism patients, sometimes they we're hitting targets that we might not want to hit. So the Children may have worse behaviors. That's very unique to that condition. But in general, CBDA seems to be very well tolerated. When just one comment about THCA, non-impairing, but THCA likes to convert to THC. So you have to watch your product, make sure you keep it cold. Don't let it get overheated. Don't leave it in your car on a hot day. But normally kind of the ratio I like for THCA to THC is at least like a 20 to one. So 20 parts THCA to one part THC. That can be measured, of course, tested medicine, so you know what's in the bottle. Okay. Uh, if you don't have access to that, there are uh, some people on YouTube who have done some kind of, they show you how they make THCA uh, from um, the raw cannabis uh, plant. Um, but it, it can uh, have a psychoactive effect if you go really high dose, because remember with every THCA milligram, let's say some THC is coming along with it. And sometimes right. it will convert. It doesn't convert as fast as I think people think it uh, it does or how I used to think it would convert pretty quickly, but it looks like it's, you know, as long as you keep it in the fridge, it should be okay. And in my patients who are using THCA for seizures, I have one, uh, a couple kids in my practice, THCA is the only thing that helped with seizures. Not, CBD didn't help. THC didn't help, but these kids are not showing any signs of, um, of impairment. In fact, what they're showing is, is improved neurocognitive function because the seizures are down. Mm. Now, are you finding that in your practice, you're, you're using the acid forms more than the decarboxylated forms? No, I would say that it's the kind of all lumped together. It really depends on the person's response. I have a method I describe in my book, rule it in or rule it out. So we start with one compound, we dose it up, 
We look for a sweet spot if there is one. If we can find some benefit without side effects at a certain dose, I have ruled it in. If it's either no response at all at low, medium, high doses, or a negative response, as long as it's not from these nuances of cannabis, like biphasic properties where low doses do one thing and high doses do another, but we try to sort all that out as we're going through the process. If it's ruled out, it's ruled out. We get rid of it. Now, sometimes it could be the, the, the particular product, as you know, because not all CBD is the same. They come from different plant genetics and one might suit your chemistry better than another. So sometimes we'll try a new cannabinoid. Sometimes we'll try a different product in the same category, but uh, Dr. Um, uh, Sulak and I have a very similar saying, we treat the patient, not the condition, because with cannabis, it truly is like an individual approach. Um, so it's interesting. I have some patients that don't tolerate um, THC or CBD or CBG, but they do tolerate the acids and vice versa. And then some people just do, a, they tolerate everything. And it's just, we figure out what works best at what, what dose. I do find that layering cannabinoids, just to add that in, um, for some people is really a very good answer because you can keep them low dose because they synergize mm. and you can get sometimes better results from that synergy of the, of those plant compounds rather than one compound at a higher dose. Yeah, no, I think it was Denny Miri who had a graphic in one of his presentations that really sort of showed how the different cannabinoids when used together kind of layer on top of each other and, mm -hmm. and kind of create the entourage effect, which um, yes. we've all come to know and love. Yeah, so, and it's important to understand that all of that takes time. Nobody can yeah. just kind of look at you and go, okay, you should take this, this, and this. I mean, if they can, then I would say go to that person. But in general, it has to be a little trial and error. Some of my research with biomarkers on children with autism is trying to help dial that down a little bit to give us a little more narrow um, or a, a little more uh, insight into who might respond to what, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. And so is that approach one that's kind of foreign to most physicians? Are they are they used to having a more clear sort of standard of care that when they start using cannabinoids, it's a little bit out of their comfort zone? Yeah, we're not taught that way in medical school. We're taught, okay, here's the condition, here's the standard of care, the approved medications. And uh, I mean, you can even get sued for not following standard of care. So, mm. you, you know, and we're taking a different pathway. Um, and so that's kind of how allopathic medicine works, which is that kind of you, if you have this condition, here's the, and, and mostly everything's evidence-based, but you know, a lot of the pharmaceuticals, even as I mentioned, the treatment sometimes can be worse than the condition yeah. and to treat somebody with a, a medication that now creates, so you're treating them for pain and now they have Maybe their pain is cut by 50%, but now they have nausea and constipation on top of it. Have you really helped that patient, right? So with cannabis, one of the goals is to not have side effects. The goal is to, and you can do that if you learn how these compounds work and you can manipulate them into a regimen for a patient based on that individual's response. And again, that's treating the patient, not necessarily the condition. So I think most you know, I don't magically come up with something. I base my clinical decision-making on what do we know from the science? And then what do I know from other patients? And, but I also explain to the patients, the parents, 
it's going to be a little trial and error, but remember there's really very little harm. And that's one of the things that I try to get across at the conference and at in, in just in general, anytime I speak, cannabis is safe. All of this nonsense about it being unsafe is ridiculous. If you are a 15 year old abusing THC, yes, you're going to have problems. That is not the case for medically uh, uh, supervised or even patients using cannabis medically. Mm -hmm. It is not, you cannot lump them into the same basket. It is completely separate. Well said. No, and one of the things you mentioned too, with this whole idea of, you know, treating the patient, not necessarily in the condition in, in your presentations, a lot of times you're, you're talking about patients who have a laundry list of, of conditions. Mm -hmm. um, you call them unicorns just because they are so unique. Um, so speak a little bit about that and how, you know, what that's like. Sure. So I think Dustin, Dr. Sulak, um, Eloise and myself who all practice, you know, uh, clinically, um, have all found as well as many other, uh, cannabis physicians that you end up seeing patients who have not been, uh, kind of this, the typical patient who responds to other treatments. It's usually what we call a refractory practice, which is unfortunate because why should somebody suffer for years before they can find cannabis? It should never be last resort, um, especially for conditions for which the treatment is not great. And we know it's not great. Look, I, in taking care of pediatric epilepsy patients, I read just, I try to read every single paper and every paper says these medications are burdensome in their side effects. It acknowledges it right there yeah. and then goes on to recommend that medication. And I just find that like, even as a parent, if I had a young child having seizures, is that excite me to put them on a medicine that's going to slow down their brain and potentially interfere with their ability to learn? Well, we know what seizures do. We know what these medications can do. And if cannabis can play a role to help, I don't know why everybody's so afraid and they say, oh, long-term, long-term. When they introduced some of these uh, anti-seizure meds, they didn't have long-term studies. Right. And we knew that they had bad side effects. So there seems to be this double standard, you know, with cannabis to have to kind of achieve this very high bar. But I'll tell you, it achieves it. People who do not get good results, they're paying out of pocket. They stop buying it. Nobody is taking it just to take it. Yeah. Now, there are people who, again, there is problematic THC use out there, but that is not banning it or prohibiting it. That doesn't work. We have to educate and we have to educate kids when they're between the ages of eight and 12 about all substances and why they would probably leave it alone if they're healthy so that their brain can develop and so on, Right. But that if they're sick, that some of these compounds that are being talked about that are, quote, bad for you are not used medically. And now, you know, we're getting into that psychedelic world where all the psychedelics are being looked at, yeah. you know, coming around and saying there is some benefit here, especially when it's medically supervised and used appropriately. So I think, you know, this whole idea of it has to be FDA approved and it has to be a randomized controlled trial with placebo and all of that. It, it, life doesn't work that way for some of these patients. They can't sit around and wait for us to discover a pharmaceutical that works when cannabis can actually give them a better quality of life. And I'm not talking even cure. I'm talking about just day-to-day -day functioning, feeling better, being able to manage the condition well. Yeah. And it's a great point you make about the, the bar being set very high for cannabis medicine. And 
yeah, the proof's in the pudding. It, it meets it. Because like you said, there are a lot of things working against people who are using cannabis as a medicine, the cost, uh, the, the legality, all of those the things. The access, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And they still continue to use it because it works. That's right. That's right. And they're using, you know, there some fair families who have kids with epilepsy are spending upwards over $1,000 a month. That is not easy to do. Everything costs more these days, but just even over the past few years, I think about how much money people lay out, but why would they do that? Because their child is doing better or because their loved one is doing better. And at, at some point you, you say, okay, we won't go out to eat anymore. We won't take a vacation. I mean, it's terrible that you have to give that up in order to take a medicine that just about every study, and I can't even think of a study that doesn't say this, in a cl- clinical studies, safe and well tolerated. I see it all the time. If you go to PubMed or Google Scholar and just look for some clinical studies on cannabinoids, it will all say safe and well tolerated, safe and well tolerated. Now, whether it worked, that sometimes depends on what population that you've recruited for your practice or for your study and also what um, product you're using. Is it the right dose? Is it the right chemovar? You know, those questions come up. But safe and well-tolerated is something that's kind of standard to see in almost every clinical uh, study of, of cannabis. Yeah. And the other thing you mentioned, too, about how a lot of the patients you see are these refractory cases, these people who have tried everything else and it's just not wor- working. It makes me wonder about, you know, the patients who maybe they are on a medication and, and yeah, it's working, it's reducing their symptoms, but maybe it's giving them some unwanted side effects, but they're like, hey it's better than nothing or it's better than what I had before makes me wonder like how many of those people could potentially be benefiting from cannabis, but it just didn't get bad enough that they sort of turned to it. Yeah. Or there's the leftover stigma. Sure. Like I don't want my doctor. Yeah. And yeah, man, I don't want my doctor to think I'm a pothead and you know what, that's an extra $50 a month and I'm on a fixed income because I'm disabled or, you know, uh, it's, the the mountain that we have made people have to climb to go for cannabis is is crazy and um it's one of the things that's really is never talked about is just how much money cannabis is saving the healthcare uh, utilization right so a child that gets hospitalized every month with what we call status epilepticus, a severe seizure disorder or a severe seizure that lasts longer than 15 minutes and has to be put on a ventilator and pumped full of drugs and then, you know, ICU and then rehab. And the whole thing, when you think about the level of um, illness and the high cost of that illness in our healthcare system, and then you start a child on cannabis and maybe they're not seizure-free, but they're not ended up in the hospital. Do you know how much money Mm. we have saved healthcare at that point, why shouldn't some of that money go to help pay for some of the medicines for these kids? So yeah, and adult and adults, I don't want to leave adults out. Sure, of course. So so kind of circling back to sort of the the new research that's coming out and sort of the new cannabinoids that you're, you're getting to work with. Again, I I keep coming back to the the CAMED presentation. I'll definitely put a link in the show description so people can check it out. But um, you were talking about a patient case and you said, you know, at the time I only had THC, CBD and THCA to work with. Um, So kind of when was that and how has your toolbox sort of expanded since then? Yeah, it's really been amazing. So I've been doing this for 15 years. And 
when I started in 2008, it was THC. That's what we had. That's what you took. Hmm. Okay. Maybe a little CBD in there, but remember in 2008, nobody was testing. You would, could walk into a dispensary in California and you got something, a cookie or some cannabis flower or whatever it was. And, you know, buyer beware. Then what ended up happening was around 2011, 2012, the idea of testing cannabis started to become more popular. There was no requirement by the state to test, but some companies were doing it. So I was pointing people in the direction of, well, just go for the tested medicine, the ones that have a label, the ones that look like. Now, of course, there are labeling issues, and I admit that back then. No, no problem. But really, nobody was really talking about CBD. In 2012 and 2013 is kind of the evolution of when we started hearing more about CBD being medicinal, for seizures, for inflammation. And I would say that I treated my first pediatric epilepsy patient with CBD oil in 2013. Hmm. So, and it was hard to get, you know, the parents had to make a zillion calls to figure out who had it, where could I get it? And then of course we were like, is it clean? Do we trust it? Cause we didn't have testing. Um, and luckily there were a couple of, uh, companies that were, um, dedicated to, and devoted to these pediatric epilepsy patients. And so we were able, there were about two or three oils. I mean, now there's thousands, right? Think about that just in just basically the last decade, right? And then what happened was THCA became available because there was some evidence from people making their own THCA uh, oil. So there was a, an article in 1979 that showed that THCA stops seizures in a rat model or mouse model. And, you know, when you're a desperate parent and you're up at three o'clock in the morning and you're searching through the literature and you come across that and you realize you can just go in California, get raw cannabis and make a tincture out of it and then give it to your kid. Those started hearing these anecdotal stories of kids with THCA uh, stopping their seizures or reducing them. Mm -hmm. So that was available. Then CBG came out, then CBDA. um, And now we have, and then CBDV and THCV. And so like, you know, the alphabet soup continues. <laughs> right. Um, and now, you know, like CBN is available and we have a lot. CBC is available from a few companies. CBGA, raw um, flour that is before it, you know, starts to have THCA and CBDA in it. Um, and all of these compounds have some evidence in the scientific literature of all of them anti inflammatory. Um, some of them target cannabinoid receptors, some don't. Many of them target trip receptors and or trip channels. The trip channels are highly involved in pain and inflammation. They kind of overlap in the areas of the body where cannabinoid receptors are and their targets of these cannabinoids are endocannabinoids target trip channels. So that makes sense. Um, so it's now become this, what I call the wall of vitamins at the at the store where I go in and I look and I go, oh no, I don't know which one to get. That's why it's so helpful to have like a medical practicum. So you can really understand what maybe some of these compounds do. Um, I'm in general, a pretty neurotic uh, physician, but with cannabinoids, I feel little less neuroses because of all this experience I have, but knowing that they're safe and Mm. always start low, titrate up, understand the compound, read everything you can about it. So you have an understanding but the reality is sometimes you get an off target and the patient will tell you, they know. Mm-hmm. And if they have anxiety or they ha- say, you know, 
Um, it actually made my pain worse, or I feel nauseous. You're on the wrong path. You got to change something. Yeah, no. And I get, have to imagine that, you know, with each new cannabinoid that comes online, you know, it just gets that much more complicated. You have almost too much variety to choose. That's from. why we need doctors to come learn about cannabis medicine. So the patients can have a guide. Remember, they're yeah. going to pretty much discover if you give them the tools, they can discover what works for their own body. You are self, you're empowering patients to be advocates for their own health. You're not just saying, here's a drug, see in three months. You are helping them kind of explore this and find their personalized or customized regimen. We've been talking, you know, cancer treatment is now becoming very personalized, right? Mm. It's should not be cookie cutter when you have, and, and one of the reasons I say I see refractory patients is because they've been treated with a cookie cutter type treatment and, but they don't fit. Okay. Yeah. They're not a cookie, right? They're a piece of cake. <laughs> and so we want to, <laughs> we want to be able to help those people as well. And we don't want to abandon them. And I've had patients come to me and say that medical communities abandon us because either our child or I don't respond to what they gave us. And now I've become like a problem patient, but, but for many of these patients, cannabis can turn things around and having this huge arsenal of different cannabinoids is so important. It's not just all about THC and CBD anymore. Yeah. No, and I have to imagine that you must constantly be reading up on the latest research. And that's why you like going to conferences and things like that is to make sure that you uh, are always expanding that arsenal. It is very hard to keep up. The information is coming out at the speed of light. There are more clinical trials coming out on uh, cannabinoids and humans. Um, we have these studies like the one I mentioned about dementia with CBDA and THCA. Look, my father's 93 and a half and he's, I, last night I FaceTime with him and he's doing great. I have him on CBD, CBDA, CBG, and very ultra low dose THC at night because there's some evidence that ultra low dose THC can be beneficial for neurocognition. Hmm. Okay. Now he's not perfect at 93 and a half, but he's at home. He cooks dinner. Uh, he giggles along with us. I, last time I visited, we did a trivia game. So he grew up, he's a Lower East Side in New York city. He knows the city in and out. Like he was a street wow. kid, you know, I mean, he had a home, but you know, he ran around on the streets, let's say, <laughs> you know, back in the day. And we're talking a long time ago. He was born in 1930. Um, he could tell me streets. He could tell me the names of all the bridges. He could tell me the names of when they, or the year that they built the subway and the year that they built this and that and this building and that building. I mean, pretty sharp. Yeah. And some of that I'm sure is genetics. And some of that I'm sure is living a pretty healthy lifestyle as, you know, throughout his years, not being a heavy uh, substance abuser and not smoking cigarettes and so on. But it's amazing to me that he still has it all together. And this is on cannabis. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me that it's bad for you. It is not bad for you. It is bad for you if you have problematic use. But again, medic medical use is, is just can be astounding for some people. Excellent. All right, Bonnie, I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, but okay. winding down here... Um, of course, in addition to come to the practicum and make sure that uh, you, you meet with Bonnie and the other doctors here, but are there other resources or um, ways people can maybe get in touch with you or learn from you uh, that you want to share with the audience? 
Oh, that's great. Thank you. So, well, first thing is that the med, the um, some of the lectures from CanMed 2023 are available, and I recommend people looking at them. I go back to them all the time. I went back and looked at the hop. Uh, what is that hop latent virus that the oh, yeah. plants hop have? Because virus, I wanted, yeah. and I was trying to educate some other people, and I said I'm just going to watch. Uh, the doctor's video uh, presentation one more time. So I got all the details and then I'm able to really talk about it in a way that I understand. And I supplement that with reading, but so I definitely recommend the CAMED 2023 lectures that are online, whichever ones are online. Um, I yeah, actually, YouTube not to cut chat. you off, yep. but we have okay. all of the CAMED lectures oh, there you from go. The previous years up on our website. Yep. So great, great resource. I, yep. I have a YouTube channel under my name, Bonnie Goldstein, MD and Bonnie's B-O-N-N-I without the E. I also have my Instagram account where I try to post as much like new studies um, and just kind of give people, um, okay, this is what's coming out. This is what we can, what, what, what researchers are working on. So I try to put out um, anything new out there that I think might be helpful for people. And then of course my book, which is in your background and I'm embarrassed. I don't have a copy sitting here at my <laughs> desk. Um, but uh, my book, Cannabis is Medicine, um, gives you a very nice uh, walk through the endocannabinoid system, the plant. There's a chapter called How to Use Cannabis as Medicine. It explains what ratios are like. What does it mean to have a CBD to THC ratio? What is a concentration? How many milligrams in, in an ML? And gives people like just kind of a step-by-step -step approach to how to start a cannabis regimen. And then there's about 31 ailments, I think, that I cover with some of the research. It's very hard to have a book out there in right. that there's new research coming out all the time and, you know, you have to, you know, like stop adding things. So hopefully a rewrite is coming up soon and I'll be able to update it. This is the second book, Cannabis is Medicine, updated from my first book, Cannabis Revealed. So, um, and then um, just come see me at CanMed. I'm really excited to go. And um, uh, my actual, uh, I think I'm going to drag my husband along this year because it's his uh, birthday. And so right. I'm making him come with me so we can celebrate his birthday while we're there. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I'm going to put links to all those resources in the show description so people can check it out. And yeah, Bonnie, thanks again for doing it. Uh, for doing the podcast, I should say, and, and doing what you do as well. Thank you for that. Um, and being Thank a you. great supporter of CAMED over the years, we really couldn't do it without you. And uh, I really look forward to seeing you down in Florida. I know. I can't wait. Um, we have to get through the winter first. So we'll we'll see each other in, in the spring. Thanks so much for what you do and what uh, medical uh, medicinal genomics does and CAMED. Um, we have to have um, this kind of support because we can't get the word out otherwise. And uh, it's just so important. And again, uh, I hope everybody who's listening will consider coming to CanMed 2024. It's really a wonderful, wonderful conference, not just for clinicians and scientists, but also for anybody interested in cannabis um, medicine. All right. Well said. Thanks again, Bonnie. Thanks so much. See you. Have a great holiday. Yes, you too. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed 
And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, The Dent Institute. Our next episode drops January 10th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, go to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about the CanMed24 Innovation and Investment Summit. Be sure to register before December 31st to take advantage of our early bird rate. Also, I invite you to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, we'd appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps. All right, that's it from us. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.